Welcome to the You on the Camino de Santiago podcast, season two, helping pilgrims get ready for their first pilgrimage walk on the Camino. With your host, Camino guide and longtime pilgrim, Nancy Reynolds of the Camino Experience. This is Nancy, back with another two-part episode for you, this time spread out over two weeks. Our topic, Packing for the Camino. In this first part, you will hear from my friend and fellow pilgrim, David, who will share his experience and wisdom gained from his 2022 Camino walk. Then in part two, next week, I will build on what David and I talked about and fill in additional information to round out your packing plan. Shall we get started? One of the topics that pilgrims ask about right after they say yes to walking the Camino is, what do I take? How the heck do I pack for this trip? And I was thinking that I could share with you a bunch of tips that I've collected over the years. But then I got to thinking maybe... It would be more interesting if I brought in another pilgrim to talk with us about his experience packing for the Camino and how that all worked out. So I'm delighted to be here today with David Gutierrez, who I met on the Camino in May of 2022. Hi, David. Hi, Nancy. How are you? I'm really good. I'm so glad you agreed to join me in this conversation. It's so much more interesting when there's someone who knows stuff and who can share their personal experiences with us. So I would like to ask if you would start out by sharing with our listeners when you went on the Camino, where you started, what route, all of those details that people would like to know to place you so they can picture you somewhere in the world. Well, so thank you for having me on here and, and allowing me to kind of share what little I know about it. But I um, I was really privileged and blessed to uh, do my first and only Camino, and that was April of last year. I chose to go in the springtime. And for me, it made the most sense for a lot of different reasons, but I wanted to uh, to try and avoid that bubble that occurs in the middle of the summertime, especially being a holy year and also a year after COVID. So I, uh, I chose to go in uh, late April, and I was also fortunate enough to be able to set aside up to 40 days to allow myself. I'm 66 and in pretty good shape, but not in terrific shape. And I said, you know what? I'm going to walk the Camino Francais. And that's the more traditional route, the route that everybody does. And there's a lot of opportunities there, both for lodging and food and uh, for a bit of spirituality with the villages and the cathedrals. So I chose to walk alone. Uh, to carry everything that I could on a on a backpack. And I walked uh, April. Uh, late April, and it took me uh, approximately 35 days to uh, to walk into the plaza in front of the uh, the Cathedral of uh, Santiago. Fabulous. Springtime is my favorite time. Well, you know, I, I would agree that it's my first and only time, and I would say it was the <laughs> best ever. <laughs> Your favorite as well so far. Very good. Mm-hmm. And so you carried your backpack the whole way, which means from a packing perspective, everything you needed had to fit into one backpack and you carried it the whole way. Yeah, I did with a couple of little air quotes around the whole way. But, uh, you know, uh, I grew up out West and so I'm very familiar with backpacking. I backpack all the big national parks, all the big uh, treks out there. And I love that. And so 
part of my thinking was, well, you know, doing a Camino walking along paths and trails and having a having places to get something to eat and drink and staying in a, a nice hostel with food and a shower shouldn't be that big a deal. So uh, that was actually one of the gotchas that I found out later <laughs> on. I want to hear more about that. But you segued perfectly into my next question was, have you ever done anything like this before? So if you would talk about you've done backpacking, but you're hinting that it's nothing like this. Would you talk about that? So, you know, in backpacking, carrying a heavy weight with your tent and your food and your stove and your clothing and first aid kits and everything where you walk long stretches, you might walk a stretch, but then you camp for a while and you might camp and et cetera, is a totally different mindset and almost a, a completely different packing list than you would doing the Camino, doing the Camino Francais and doing it in springtime. So they they are similar, but very different. Okay. Let's talk about the differences. <laughs> well, I think the biggest ones is you're, you're not going to be camping on the Camino. There's very little facilities for it. It's not really encouraged. And most of the time when I did see anyone camping, truly camping with tents and sleeping bags and their own food, it was a lot of stealth camping. Mm. I wouldn't say a lot, but the few times I saw it, they were typically very young people from the area or young Europeans, Bohemian style that were that were actually camping out, out. The vast majority were pulling into the, the albergues and the pensiones and, and, uh, and those types of things. And so the packing list, immediately you toss out the need for any kind of a sleeping bag, any kind of a tent, any kind of a stove. And for the most part, you know, not having to carry supplies, food and water for five, six, seven, eight days alone all goes by the wayside. Very good. So packing light is a very real possibility then. It is. It is. And yet you're going to a foreign country, you're going in the springtime and you hear the word the Pyrenees and then you hear the Cantabrian mountains. So you've got three mountain ranges to go over. Mm -hmm. and, and again, the backpacking mode says, OK, I've got to wear my big sturdy boots and I've got to make sure I've got enough clothes for the wild changes in weather. And then you get on the Internet or YouTube or Facebook and you're flooded by a vast amount of information and opinions. Mm. And you're trying to filter through that what's going to fit me and what's the right thing. And you really end up looking back on it, angsting over a lot of little minutia that will take care of itself. That's a key point is that it does take care of itself. So how, how did you approach packing then? Well, I mean, again, the backpacking came in in terms of saying, okay, I'm going to wear the same clothes walking all the time and I'll have a clean pair inside. So it becomes, you know, two of everything, two pairs of pants. And I'm very comfortable with zip off pants that become convert to shorts. I always dress in layers. So an undershirt, a long sleeve shirt, a vest, and then a light shell that ended up being my rain jacket all kind of cover some of the basics. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, two pair of socks or three, do I go with sock liners or no sock liners? Mm -hmm. uh, Am I taking my boots? And then if I am, what are going to be my sandals that I'll use in the albergue? So those are some of the little differences and changes that uh, you're only going to learn when you start walking the Camino. Make your best guess. Listen to all the opinions you can. Choose what you think works for you. And guess what? You'll be able to toss them like I did or buy what you need when you're there. The Camino will provide. Just get going. Okay. So you said that you, did you toss some things when you were walking? What kind of things did you decide? I really don't need this. And we're going to get into your boots in a few minutes, but 
before, <laughs> before we'll get to that, because that that that's an important story. But well, my favorite saying to, that I tell people is, you know, you plan a lot. And I will tell you, one of the greatest planners, the the greatest thing I ever heard from was the great American philosopher, Mike Tyson, the boxer, great American philosopher. He has a saying, whether he originated with him or he got it from somebody else, but he says, everybody has a plan until they punch you in the mouth, (laughs) until you get punched in the mouth, you get punched in the mouth. And so I started on the very first day from St. John, beautiful day. It had been snowing all week and I geared up. And I walk on what appeared to be the only sunny day of the week. And I started walking. And then I realized about halfway through, I said, oh, my gosh, this is really hard. This is really different. This is a long walk. And despite all my ultralight backpack and clothes and and this and that, this is going to be a slog. Mm. And that was a little bit of a punch in the mouth. And I think starting that day or the next day, one of my favorite little mind games as I walked along. Uh, which I did, I went alone, would be to sit there and say, what can I toss out? Well, how can I shave a few pounds? And it, it became a fun mental game to say, oh, I really don't need this. I bought a big poncho. So a few things I did buy in St. Jean that I didn't want to carry on the plane was a big poncho, not a disposable one, but one of the big ultras ones that covers your backpack. You know, and I had a few other things, uh, big, heavy Teva sandals that I was going to wear after each walk and put those on, the big Velcro straps that were very heavy. And so I would, for days, kind of figure out, maybe I can throw this away. Maybe I can throw that away. And it became kind of a a carrot at the end of the stick to say, wow, I could loosen my, uh, lose a few pounds by getting rid of these five items. No, there's eight items. No, there's three. (laughs) No, there's, Yeah. Mental gymnastics for the first week or so. I love it. You know, you and I had talked about this earlier. They say that the Camino Frances can be divided into three sections. The first section, the first couple weeks, is the physical, where you're dealing with the physical challenge and getting everything in order. The next section would be mental or emotional. And then the third is the spiritual section, which would be the last bit into Santiago. When I think of the physical part, What I think of is managing the physical world. How do you manage all these? You've got, even if you pack light, you still got 50 things in your pack. You know, this little thing and that thing, this thing and that thing. Managing it and knowing where is it? So where did I put that? And where do I keep this? And do I need this? And these five things can go. And maybe if I shave the label off of this, that'll save an ounce. But that first week or two is all about getting used to what's in your pack and knowing that that is all you're going to live with for the rest of the trip. Well, amen. You're exactly, exactly 100% right. It really is that. It is managing that. And the first night in an albergue, when you're pulling your pack apart to get the things to go to the shower, and then you get to the shower and you find out that, oh, by the way, there's no benches or anything there. And I've got a, wait, I've got clean clothes here. I've got dirty clothes. I've got my my valuables in my neck pouch and uh and then i've got my shampoo and soap and what am i doing with all this and then i've got to by the way a little tiny towel (laughs) that i dry myself out with and do i walk naked back to my bunk and get dressed there it's it 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 becomes a, a fun juggling act and you're right packing that back up so that it's easily accessible and then the next time and the next time you're right the first week or so is is juggling the little things that you don't think about when you're at home. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so it's not just what you pack, it's how you pack so that you can grab things. I got to the point where I packed things by purpose. So I had everything that would go to the shower, which would be my towel, my clean clothes, and my toiletry bag would get rolled into one roll. I didn't, I don't use packing cubes or plastic bags. I roll it and stick the roll in and I grab the roll and I go. And my sleep stuff, so my sleep sack and my little bag with the earplugs and the eye cover and, you know, those little things that I need, my pajamas, roll, roll, roll. That's one roll. Stick it in. Yeah. So it's not, not just what, it's how, where, where are these things so you can find them? Yeah. I will be honest with you. As you know, you, you leave St. John, you go over the Pyrenees, you do a long walk, you're full of adrenaline. And the weather is the weather. And then you pull into Roncevallas and it's a huge albergue. And I will tell you, the first thing I did after I left that shower was I left that huge bar of soap and the big cardboard box it came with right there in the shower stall and said, there's a Camino gift for the next (laughs) pilgrim. And I kept the little tiny bars of soap you get in a cheap motel, the little tiny ones that are wrapped like a piece of chiclet gum. And that's how I would wash myself and my hair and my clothes. And when I got too small, I would uh, be at an albergue or, and I'd find another little tiny one and that would be it. But yeah, that's part of the learning what you really need mm-hmm. versus what you want. Yeah. Do you think it's possible to get it all right before you leave no. home? Uh, no. And uh, you know what? That's part of the Camino. Part of the Camino is teaching you these lessons that uh, what you have at home, you consider essentials are uh, are way less. Mm. And if you allow it, by doing the albergues, by carrying your pack as much as you physically can within reason, you'll it'll get centered down. It'll get smelted down to the bare essentials. And you'll have a wonderful sense of efficiency mm. that will, the efficiency will move the distractions away, allowing the real Camino to come in. Mm. And I think that's, now that I just said that, I think that's the little nugget that that the first part, the physical part of the mm-hmm. Camino teaches you is move those physical things away, allow space for the bigger stuff to come in, the important stuff. So you get it down to routine, like we have routines at home that we don't even think about anymore. We get up, we brush our teeth, we make coffee, we eat breakfast, we this, we that. You're saying get it down to that level of, we don't even think about it. This goes here, that goes here. I'm packed in three minutes or less out the door then. Right. Right. And that's another big thing about backpacking and backpacking. You go way out in the wilderness. And so you spend a lot of time and, and only by experience, do you really hone it down? Cause this might break, that might break, you know, the fuel, you might need extra canister, the fuel, a first aid kit, you know, on the Camino, you have an opportunity to, again, take your best shot, pack what you feel you need. And then once you're there, you'll be able to, like me, think about what can I get rid of? Or can I toss this stuff? Or I can replace that. I'll leave this and I'll buy that because it's faster, cheaper, quicker, lighter, whatever. Yeah. And 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 get to that point sooner rather than later. Don't waste a lot of energy for months before your trip trying to get your pack just right. Mm, that's good advice. Yeah. It happens naturally on the trail. It really does. And you'll find in St. John, especially, there's a lot of places where you can pick up what you need. I, you know, I didn't take walking sticks because I didn't want to hassle with there were so many opinions on, can I carry my sticks on the airplane? Does TSA allow it? Well, this airport does, but not that airport. Mm-hmm. I flew from New England, so I flew out of Boston Logan. And I didn't have a poncho. I didn't have my walking sticks. I didn't have a knife and a lighter. 
And I said, I'll pick those little things up if and when I need them. Yeah. Did you get those all in St. John? I did, actually. I did. I, I thought about it. And I talked to the Pilgrim's office and a few Pilgrims there. And they said, yeah, you might want to use that. And, and those are my essentials. And like you, over the next two weeks, I tucked my little bathroom and toiletries and one little thing and uh, my bed stuff, which mm-hmm. I loved hearing what you said, earplugs, the eye mask, and uh, half a Tylenol PM. Well, <laughs> yes. eliminate yep. all the noises that you hear in an hour gay at night. Yes. Well, it, it, it depends because there are some championship snores out on the Camino. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, in New Hampshire, I have some good friends that are really firearm experts, and they uh, recommended this little foam NRA-approved earplug that worked perfectly for me. NRA-approved earplugs. Yeah, little foam ones you could uh, roll with your finger and you put in there, and they expanded, and they knocked out a lot of noise. Yeah, and you can get them also at at a hardware store. I think I got mine through Home Depot. Where mm-hmm. you because they sell them for industrial purposes. Those are probably That's the right. best one because some of these people do sound like ch- chainsaws or f- freight trains. It's remarkable, and I'm not talking just men. I'm talking men and women. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I would love yeah. to snore at these people, but if I can't sleep, I cannot compete. Correct. And then again, that that kind of touches on another Camino thing. Uh, you, you you see the blogs back and forth. Do we uh, do I wake someone up? Do I mm-hmm. tell them about it? I mean, it's. It's again, it's part of the Camino and, and it's part of, of casting aside some of the things that matter and don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And people do need to sleep. And so, right. yeah. And right. my solution was private rooms. If, right. uh, yeah, for seven years when I was, when I first started walking the Camino, I stayed in the albergues and I didn't sleep a lot. And so, yeah. And so I often now just make sure I have a bigger budget so I can afford to stay in the other places. Pros and cons of both, I think. I, I would say if you, if you can afford to, I would say if you can afford it, quite honestly, I'm going to say the opposite. If you can afford it, do the albergues to start with. You have to experience that. There's a way many, many pluses to that versus the the minuses, but it was all part of the process. And like mm-hmm. I said, I daydreamed for quite a few days what I could toss from my list. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, people will want to know, how much did your pack weigh? Do you know? I think it was coming in about 18 pounds, and that did not include water. I'm not a bladder, water bladder uh, carrier, so I would uh, buy the bottles and as I went along. And I had an algae bottle, and, and then I had a long drinking tube. That had a couple of different caps. So 18 plus another two or three, that would be the water. And of course, buying that beautiful bread and and a stick of uh, salami or or beef (laughs) at the local little market was always wonderful. Again, that simplicity of of lunch on the trail. And that's where you needed your knife to slice things and assemble a little sandwich or bocadillo. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's it. I got a a little Camino emblem knife at the... the, in St. John, and that's still with me. And it's a, it's a, a wonderful keepsake. Mm-hmm. And I checked my bag when I flew back to the United States. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to worry about knives and things like that. And my trekking poles. Yeah, very good. So the shop that you are talking about, I'm wondering if it's the one I want to make sure the listeners know what's available in St. John. There's a wonderful Pilgrim's Boutique on that main cobblestone street going through the center of the village just across the street and down a couple doors from the pilgrim's office. Is that the one, the little Paladin boutique that you went to? Yes, that's, they are wonderful. They speak English and they see 
thousands, thousands and thousands of pilgrims. And they will recommend what's necessary, especially going over the first few days with the Pyrenees and the mountains and beyond that. So Very uh, good. Yep. I also want to give a shout out to a shop in Pamplona. If you're starting in Pamplona or going through Pamplona before you go, or you walk into Pamplona and then realize you need something, there's a shop there called Caminoteca, which is run by two Hungarian former pilgrims. And their whole inventory is geared towards pilgrims. So they've got all the practical gear and they have fine-tuned their inventory so well that you're going to just have the right things to choose from that work for pilgrims tried and true. And then they've got the tiny little lightweight Camino branded thing. So you can get something with a scallop shell or an arrow on it and get your little right. souvenir. So yeah, right. these, these shops are along the way. And if you're starting someplace like Saudia, Saria also has a shop like that at the base of that. Do you remember that giant staircase in Saria? There's a, I think it's called Peregrino Taker or something, Peregrino Taker. I don't know. It's a pilgrim shop as well. Everything you need. And they really focus on pilgrims. So it's really true. If you don't take everything you need with you, you can buy it there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. And then there's one in Burgos, and I can't remember the name of it, but they're the ones that saved me the famous boot story that you and I have. Yes, let's let's tell that story, and then I'm going to go back to a couple <laughs> things, a couple things that you have mentioned. Well, so again, being a backpacker and sitting there saying, "Well, I've got to go over these mountain ranges here, so I've got to carry my nice big uh, hiking boots." You know, I'm usually a Merrill guy, and and I've had some uh, mid ankle. Merrill boots that have got a big tread on it and they work well for me and I've never ever had feet problems. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, the adrenaline in the first six or seven days, all of a sudden I look down at my feet and and recognize that, boy, they're all blistered and now they're bleeding and now they're really hurting. <laughs> and it got to the point where I was always the uh, the last leaving the, uh, the albergue and also the last coming in because I really slowed down because of the pain with my my feet all around blisters and being afraid of getting infections. And so taping them and doing everything that I thought I could, because I'd never had blisters before. And I kept jamming them into these boots, which were, you know, a size larger. But at the end of the day, I got to Burgos and I realized that I had to go to a clinic. And I went to a clinic, God bless the pilgrim office there. They, They spoke English, even though I'm pretty good in Spanish, but they said there's three different places I could go to. And they recommended one, they called a cab. The cab took me right to this specific clinic. And within a few minutes, the doctor and the nurse looked at me and cleaned up my feet and said, you need to rest for five days. And I said, okay. Wow. The cab took me back and I went to a hotel room in Burgos, right there next to the cathedral. And two days later, I was out walking again. What happened to the five days? Well, well, I didn't have five days. I didn't have five (laughs) days for a lot of different reasons, but I went to a little outdoor shop and uh, a gentleman sat there and I'm hobbling in with my big Tevas and my feet are uh, exposed because they're out of socks. And he introduced me to a pair of Keen sandals that have a closed toe and some large open straps. And I said, do you think I can finish the Camino in these? He said, yep, not a problem. There'll be one spot after Osobrero. You'll be coming down. Mm Mm-hmm. That's very steep, but after that, you'll be fine. And and that's what he knew. He, that's how well he knew the trail. And so I decided to rock the next two-thirds of the Camino from uh, from Burgos on all the way to Santiago in sandals. 
<laughs> now, because I'm a Yankee and up here in New England, I can't toss anything. I had the boots strapped on and I said, okay, when I get to some of the mountains, I'll put the boots back on. So I tried a test run after my feet had started to heal. And within three or four hours, I took my boots off and they were blistering again. Mm. And so I ended up tossing my boots in the main street of a little village. I don't even remember. I literally took them off and threw them out in the middle of this little dirt street in this small little village. And they're there as far as I know. Hopefully they got picked up by someone who could wear them, who is not walking the Camino. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> 10 and a half in, in a little village in Spain. Let's yeah. Say. So what happened? These are, these weren't new boots. Had you, had you trained in these boots for this walk? I had, yes. I had trained. I was a backpacker. So pride is, as you know, one of the big, 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 big gotchas and, and thinking that, mm. I could do what I could do, and the Camino is, no, is far less strenuous than uh, than climbing Mount Washington or mm-hmm. or tromping through the British Columbia, is going down the Kootenay River, or or the. I mean, I've done the Grand Canyon so many times <laughs> alone, mm. you know, with a fifty pound pack. So I realize the Camino is different. And one thing to think about is you're doing a half a marathon every day. Mm. So, I mean, if you choose to do some of the segments and the legs, then you're doing about a half a marathon. So in all weather, every day, 13, 15 miles a day, you have to sit there and say, okay, this is different walking. Mm -hmm. And I'm not carrying 50 pounds, but 18 pounds or 22 pounds. And so the boots weren't large enough and quite honestly were constricting and and, uh, my feet didn't breathe enough. And this was just me. And I recognize now for the Camino. I need something that allows my feet to expand and breathe and and, and, and not get trapped up. And okay. so the boots became something that I dropped and along with the other items, which is another kind of a cool story too. Oh, I want to hear that. But it sounds like, let's just conclude this. It sounds like they were just the wrong boots for the job. Right, yeah. right, right. And I, I used to have, I used to call them badass hiking boots. I had a pair of those. And I loved them. I felt really strong and powerful when I walked in mm-hmm. them. But they were crap mm-hmm. for the Camino because so mm-hmm. much of it is simply road walking, right? And not, you know, some is along a highway, but a lot of it is simply paved. So I think I read an estimate that about 35% of the Camino Frances is paved surfaces. And that's right. cobblestone and one and two lane roads and highways and all that stuff. The rest is dirt. But how much of it is actually technical? zero. Yeah. Right. Very little. So there's one, that one section that you referred to it. I think you're talking about the bit that goes into Molina Seca is treacherously hard, but the rest of the trail, you know, there's maybe 5% that's a challenging terrain and the rest you're, you know, not too, not too hard. So sound like just the wrong boot for the job. It really was. Again, it had worked so many other applications, but it didn't Mm -hmm. work in this application. And I don't think I would have known that until I'd gone through all this. Mm-hmm. So again, I don't beat myself up over that. And I certainly don't cry over my $250 boots that are sitting in the, in the <laughs> village in Spain. I'm picturing them on someone's feet. <laughs> yeah, let's hope. Let's yeah, hope. yeah. So that that's just a really good point. There are things you cannot know until you get there and try them out. So even training walks wouldn't have revealed this for you, I guess. No. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. Because like you said, they were badass boots that I felt very good in. And I'd gone a lot of places with mm-hmm. them. And, and it was, that's why it caught me by surprise. That's why mm-hmm. I let my feet get so bad because I just didn't pay attention to it. I said, that's that's not a big deal. I've got other things to worry about. Right. Your mind couldn't get, get that through it, your head that this is a problem because these are the mm-hmm. boots that always work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Very good. 
So you said 18 pounds and yep. um, I've heard, I've heard, I've even said that a good guideline for weight, how much weight to carry would be about 10% of your body weight. What do you think about that rule? I think that's a good rule to strive for. Mm -hmm. I think it certainly is. It, it's uh, especially if you go over that, you know, if you're over it by a, a significant amount, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, body mass, you know, they're, they're all kind of depends on your body. But I mean, it certainly says, what, what, what am I taking that's so much more than 10%? Mm -hmm. Do I really need that? Mm -hmm. So that's a good rule to follow. And then again, just go there with an open mind that I'm going to trim things out. I'm going to find out what I really need and what I don't need. And I'll take care of it when it comes up. Very good. Very good. Now, let's see. I want to go back to something that you said uh, when you were talking about dressing in layers. And what I hear when I, when I hear dressing in layers, I hear sort of a formula. And that's really helpful to know what clothes to take is you've got a base layer. Then you've mm -hmm. got a shirt. Then you've got a layer for warmth and a layer for waterproof. Right. Does that about cover yep. it? That's about it. You know, I, I figured from my experience and how I uh, can, I'm pretty impervious to a lot of cold hmm. living in New Hampshire where, you know, we've got some pretty good temperatures up here. So I, I realized that if I wore a good base layer, I wore a good long sleeve shirt, I put a really good Patagonia vest over that, I've got my core covered. Okay. And then on top of that, I've got a very good, strong, uh, waterproof windbreaker with a hood. Great. And of course, I've got, I had a couple of different gloves. I had a very lightweight walking gloves, and then I had uh, some that were a little more for warmth, but both were water resistant, not Great. water repellent. Okay. And then a wool cap and, and a buff and good to go. G to G, as the young kids say. I like that. I like that. Yeah, I think the, the formula sort of includes those basic things. And then you look at the weather and see whether mm -hmm. you, need an, uh, you need the warm hat or the sun hat. If you need the heavy gloves or the light gloves, if you right. need the long pants or the shorts. Right. And I think you just adjust it, adjust it accordingly. Yep. 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 And the other thing is I tend to dress. One of the things you learn in backpacking dress cooler mm. because very soon you'll be sweating. And once you're wet and you've got a base layer that's wet and then it's a tough day. It's less fun. So people love to bundle up and within 30 minutes they're sweating and taking stuff off. And now you've got a wet base layer. So underdress. That's definitely me. Very good. Now, I'm going to be doing some episodes, additional episodes on gear. So I'll be doing some episodes on ring gear and trekking poles and sleeping bag versus sleep sack and all of that kind of stuff. But I know that listeners are dying to know. You said, did you take a sleeping bag? I did not. You know, I read all the dire warnings about bed bugs and all this and that. So one of the key things, I think when I'm going to sit down and, and talk to people about essentials, I, I did take a, uh, a liner just a, a, a very thin cotton silk liner. Great. It was mummy shaped and it became one of the key things that I always slept in. Mm -hmm. I just laid it on the, uh, on the cot and snuggled in that. And uh, most of the albergues had a blanket if I needed it. And I was fine. I was perfectly fine. I think that's really good to know that you have to have something when you're in the albergues. Many of them now give out disposable sheets Right. But those are hugely uncomfortable in my experience. And yeah. I don't want to be the one contributing to disposable things in Spain personally. Right. But I, I also have a silk, I have a silk liner that's great. And yeah. I use it with the blankets. Yeah. I think the key distinction is do you get super, super cold at night? And if yes, you might want a sleeping bag. And 
Yeah, but so personal. I'm going to do, like I said, an episode on that. We'll I'll throw around the pros and cons of each so people can make their own decision. But I think that's another one that if you don't get it right, you can get more in Spain. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a decathlon sports in, uh, in Burgos, man. I mean, yeah. we took a cab. There was four of us. We took a cab. We looked like we're all grubby peregrinos walking in there amongst the kids buying soccer stuff and basketball stuff. And we're, we're scarfing down you know, uh, a couple of Peregrino stuff. So at the Catalan <laughs> sports of all things. That's a great, great store. There's one in every major city along the Camino, Pamplona, sure. Logroño, Burgos, Leon, Ponferrada. Everybody's got yeah. them. Santiago. Yeah. yeah good. Yeah. yeah. You just have to remember anything you buy, you have to carry. That's so every, right. Every souvenir, right? Every that's souvenir, right. every, oh, that's a cool pair of shirts or yeah. shorts oh my god i gotta carry that yeah now. or maybe i'll get one of those tiles that has the symbol of the arrow or the shell on it no 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 get that in get that in santiago, santiago. get yeah. it at the end right <laughs> yeah 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 one of the sayings i share with the pilgrims in my group is ounces turn into pounds and pounds will piss you off mm-hmm. so less is more so there's a very lucky man in a little village in Spain who I came across. So I told you in the beginning, I was kind of uh, marinating over what I could get rid of. Uh-huh. And it kept changing and evolving day by day. And, and I think it was two or three weeks into it. And I finally kind of centered it down. So I happened to uh, come into a little albergue and I met a gentleman named Ricardo. And I was able to look at him eye and eye. And he was exactly my same height and shape and weight. And so in Spanish, my Spanish, which is American Spanish, I told him that I was staying here and he showed me to my room. And then I said, by the way, in the morning, you're going to find things at the end of the bed there for you. All right. I didn't forget them and they're for you. And I told him it was going to be this really nice Columbia fly fishing shirt, long Mm. sleeve, because I had two of them and I only needed one. Okay. But it's a one. It was those big, heavy Tiva, you know. He called them chanclas uh, in Spanish, and he kept looking at them and looking at me. And I said, "No, they're yours. It's, there's no cost. There's a gift." <laughs> so I actually have a picture of everything laid out on the bed for him, and I can tell you that I didn't see him because I left early the next morning. I'm sure he still walks around today, pointing. <laughs> it's Christmas for him. Christmas gift. Christmas for in, Ricardo. In, yeah. In May for Ricardo. So yes, I won't tell you what those items were, but there was. It was a good half a dozen good quality stuff. That big score. Big score for Ricardo. And it was a big weight off my shoulders, literally yeah. and figuratively. Yeah. I was much lighter mentally and physically and just powered on. It was fun. It's great. It's great. So there are actually a couple things you can do if you end up with extra items. One is you can leave them. And many of the albergues, especially at the beginning, have a table or a box where you can put your things, which also... You can conclude if you need something, go see what's in the box, right? And see what else is in there. The other thing that people can do is ship things home or ship them to Santiago for pickup. And in the first episode of season two, I talked about how to send things to Santiago and how to pick them up and how that all system, that whole system works. So that's an option as well. Now, I want to go on to the real reason I chose you for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) is because I haven't the slightest idea how men pack that's different from how women pack. So I was wondering if you could share with us, you know, what's in your bag that wouldn't be in mine? 
Well, there'd be men's underwear, which is real simple. <laughs> you're, you know, you're right. I don't carry men's underwear. Yep, 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 yep. And we 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 carry literally half of the underwear that you normally would carry as essentials, right? So how many how many pair did you take? I took three. I wore one and always kept two. You know, everyone talks about maybe two and you can wash them out, but you know, sometimes they get lazy or get caught up. Three pair of underwear worked very well for okay. me. Three pair of wool socks and two liner socks worked very well for me. And that allowed me to go a day if I had to with another clean pair and just toss that out. Like I said, I dressed in layers and I always had an extra pair of clean pants and a clean shirt that I could go out into town in. So that was very straightforward. Uh, Two zip off pants, uh, one that I walked in, one that I would use for on the town or in the albergay that were clean while the others were washed and dried. And the underwear and socks and uh, and then the layered shirts that I talked about. Okay. Very straightforward. Nothing. There's no makeup bag. My my personal little hygiene kit was that little motel bar of soap that I washed everything with. I, in fact, uh, yeah, my clothes, my underwear, my face, my beard, my hair, all got washed by a little, little, bar, little soap. Tiny bar of soap. And I'm guessing yep. you didn't carry a shaving kit because I'm looking at that beard. No. <laughs> no, thank my wife actually liked it. And I'm looking at the old pictures now of uh, the progression and uh, and uh, she likes it and I've kept it. So no shaving kit, no shaving anything, uh, no deodorant. Uh, again, just use soap. And when we, we came to Surya and it really started to swell with all the other pilgrims, she said to me on my uh, WhatsApp chat with her, she said, well, how do you tell the real pilgrims from from those that are quote unquote fake, just just signing on the last hundred kilometers. And I said first, well, first of all, they stink. We all smell, you know. And then secondly, look at their clothes. Their shoes are beat, their their pants are beat. They've been on the Camino. Yeah. So yeah, that's it's real easy to tell. I have a beautiful picture of a lot of us sitting under at a cafe drinking cafe, uh cafe con leche. And I took a picture underneath because there's like eight pairs of of uh, bare feet. Everyone slipped off their sandals and boots and it's all bare feet under the table. Yeah, big, big difference. I also noticed that there's a learning curve with how to behave and share space in an albergue. And people who started in Sejan have been in training for almost a month. And then you get to Saria and they don't know, they don't know the rules. They don't know the etiquette. And so there's all this chaos of, could you please mm-hmm. get that off the chair? Could you take it off the ladder? I need to climb up the ladder. So don't put your stuff there. Yeah. There's right. a huge learning curve. And they are clean and smell nice. Yeah, right. Yeah, they have their stuff right from Decathlon Sports, <laughs> brand new. <laughs> but again, if you've been on the Camino, then you've learned, uh, if you've learned anything on the Camino, you've learned that it's let it roll off your back yeah. and smile. And, yeah. And it's not about you. It's it's about bigger things than that. But yes, it is different. Yeah, definitely. And I have to say, I I you use the term fake pilgrim and I'm, I'm going to just for first time pilgrims who are planning to walk Saria to Santiago and not start farther back or not going to walk uh, across the whole country. I'll share that from my experience, a pilgrimage from Saria to Santiago can be as rich and fulfilling and life changing as walking farther. And I've had, in fact, I just walked that in the fall this year. In October, I walked Saria to Santiago and I hadn't done that since 2015. And it was extraordinary, just extraordinary. Yeah. I saw your pictures posted. They were beautiful. Yeah, it was just, just extraordinary. Walking through farmlands and forests. 
for, I took eight days, you know, I'm not in any hurry. So it's really lovely. So anyway, back to packing, anything else, any other tips or cautionary tales or words of wisdom you would share with our listeners? I think we, we, we kind of tapped on it all again. I'm 66 year old. I'm a, I'm a male, of course, and I've done some backpacking. So I, I did try and keep it to the 10% weight rule. I kept the layers in mind, knowing that I was leaving in early April and was going to hit all kinds of weather in the first half. And then also towards the, the second half, as you enter uh, uh, Galicia, the Osobrero, there's uh, some weather mm-hmm. changes. I saw snow even when I was uh, midway through in May, late May. I saw they were getting big snowstorms in some of those mountains. So I, I think do the best you can pack based on your experience and comfort level and based on opinions from people closest to you. I would say that more than anything, because you'll be flooded by opinions uh, all over the Internet and YouTube. But identify with someone who uh, appears to be similar to you mm-hmm. and then pick and choose from that and know that once you're there, it's going to be a process. And don't angst over it. It'll naturally find its 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 floating level and you'll be fine. That's the best advice I've ever heard. <laughs> All right. So we're going to wrap up then, David. I'm so grateful that you took the time to join me for this. Before we wrap up, though, would you like to just say a few words about your fundraiser that's coming up? Do you want to do a little, little mention? I can put a link in the notes for anyone who might want to donate. Oh, absolutely. So one of the things that the Camino has uh, drawn out in me, and it continues to, it's, uh, in fact, today is the, uh, the anniversary of the ninth month of my completing and walking into the cathedral in Santiago. But one of the things that's grown from this is that I am uh, developing this major fundraiser up here in New England, and it's to support uh, the Damien House Foundation. And Father Damien was a uh, Catholic priest who in the 1800s, went to Hawaii to be a priest and discovered that the entire island of Molokai had been relegated to people with leprosy. And he was so moved by that. He moved to Molokai and he lived amongst the lepers and he was naturally gifted to be a carpenter. And he built an entire village surrounded and caring and loving people with leprosy, which is now called Hansen's disease. Well, he contracted leprosy and then he died and he was beatified a few years ago. He's a saint. And I've been blessed to meet a Catholic nun named Sister Annie Credidio, who is also a Catholic, uh, but she's a nun and went down to Guayaquil, Ecuador, 35 years ago. And she was going to be a young teacher and discovered that leprosy was prevalent in Ecuador. And so uh, as the, the spirit moved her, she is now, after 35 years, has a beautiful little clinic in downtown Guayaquil. And it's a residence for men and women who are abandoned by family and by the government and by the countryside because of their fear and ignorance of uh, Hansen's disease. And she has a little clinic. It's called the Damien House Foundation. And I think it's damienhouse.org. And I will tell you that these are the happiest, most blessed people you will ever meet. Despite all of the ravages of leprosy, and you can imagine what it is, you've seen it on movies and on TV, but they're the happiest, warmest people. And so I've been blessed to leave missions down there up until COVID. And so we'll be running a fundraiser next month. uh, We hope to raise tens of thousands of dollars and it'll all help fund Sister Annie and the Damien House. And I will tell you a dollar for us is worth $10 down there. And that whatever you have to complain about is nothing compared to what they have. 
to deal with day to day. And so I would ask people to prayerfully reflect on making even a small donation that will lighten the load for the people at the Damien House uh, down in Guayaquil, Ecuador. So will you tell us then about the fundraiser and how you're bringing the Camino into it? Because what so intrigues me and what I so appreciate is that you went on this pilgrimage and you're coming back on fire for something. So the, the pilgrimage launched you into what's next for you and taking what you were already doing to this expanded level. It, it got to you. The Camino got to you in a really empowering way. Will you share the Camino element that you're introducing in this fundraiser? Well, thank you for all those things. But it, that is what the Camino is. That is what it is if you allow it to be. If you push all the day-to-day distractions and allow and you empty yourself, you'll be overflowing with gifts from it. And part of the gifts is that uh, I have 20 pilgrims flying in from all over the world. Pilgrims that I met, maybe a half a day, maybe I met a day, maybe I met for 30 minutes. But when the idea came to put together a fundraiser and to make it about the Camino, I made a call out to these people and so many of them raised their hand and said, I'll be there. And so on February the 11th, I'll have 20 pilgrims coming in and the goal will be to have this big fundraising dinner and at every table will be a pilgrim. And by the way, there's another 12 or 15, actually, there's probably close to another 20 pilgrims who raise their hand. You're one of them that couldn't make it, but wanted to participate. And so uh, we'll have beautiful little biographies by different pilgrims from all over the world with their picture and what their Camino meant to them. And they'll be hanging along the wall of this big, large dining facility. And the goal will be to uh, not only educate people about the Camino, in ways that they've never really thought about or felt about it, but ultimately to raise money for for brothers and sisters down in the, the Damien House in Ecuador. And it's something that wouldn't have come together. I, I sit down sometimes and just marvel at all the cosmic tumblers that clicked into place to bring you and me together, to bring us together, to bring the Damien House together, to think that someone listening to this might actually write a check or send a credit card payment that would make a huge difference to someone's life that they'll never meet. Uh, is a big deal. So yeah, this is this is part of the Camino magic in the way that I think it's meant to be, which is not only to make it about yourself, but what can I do to make uh, the place a little better? And one thing I'll end with is one of the pilgrims who's coming said it very clearly that uh, the world would be a much better place if more people walked the, the Camino. I think we're done. <laughs> David, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate our time together. Bless you too for everything you do and Buen Camino. Thank you. Would you like to share your experience of getting ready to walk the Camino de Santiago and receive some personalized guidance on your planning and preparations? If you have not yet walked a Camino, and would like to be a guest on this podcast, please find the link in the notes for this show to let me know you're interested. If you'd like assistance getting started on your Camino journey, or if you would like to join me on the trail in May or September, visit thecaminoexperience.com to take your first steps. Bye for now.